The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Not a huge baseball fan myself. I did see the Royals had a pretty interesting comeback um, recently, which is fascinating for the season they've been having. Uh, But I like to play uh, softball. I can play some softball. Played a lot of softball over the years um, in, the, in the church. And we, the last church, we had a softball league and spent several Saturdays all day long playing softball. So you tend to get a little better at it, playing a lot of it. And uh, if you've been in a situation where it's the bottom of the ninth and you're down three and it seems hopeless because the other team is pretty good, and you got one shot uh, to come back. And that can be a very... Uh, hopeless feeling unless you're able to load the bases up and you're at the top of the lineup and you can load the bases and somebody comes and cleans it all up then all of a sudden it's a terrible feeling for the other team and you just feel amazing it's a wonderful experience Uh, I hope you get to enjoy it sometime in your life and if you're playing me I hope that I'm on the right side of that whole thing all right and so uh, we're going to finish our celebration. Why am I talking about um, baseball? Because we're going to finish our celebration of, of humility by learning how to swing for the fences when it comes to experiencing the favor of God falling on our lives. And so there are two major passages in the Bible on humility. And the first one that we're going to look at, it teaches us. It like It's just the Apostle Paul giving us some lessons and laying it out and saying, man, Like, here it is, church. Here's how we need to be functioning. And then the second passage, it basically illustrates the whole thing of what it looks like. It's almost like um, Paul is commenting on what we learn from what he sees and has heard about what Jesus did in John chapter 13, which is the famous passage where um, on the last night that Jesus was with the uh, disciples, whoa, about fell, fell over there. Did y'all see that? <laughs> and so I've been on a ladder a lot. So anyway, uh, that's what's going on. I'm not dizzy or about to pass out. Um, so the, the, what was I saying? Oh, it's the last night. Thank you. Thank you. Shane, Shane and Molly are with us today. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it's the last night before the Passover, um, before Jesus is crucified, and he's spending some time with them, and, and he washes their feet. And so we turn to a second or, or the second chapter of Philippians, verse 1. And what I'm going to do here is I'm basically going to just walk through, work through the, the passage, and then we'll go to John chapter 13. I'll work through that passage. And I'm going to give you two truths and, and three hits that we need to be uh, making, loading up the bases, okay? So, so here you go. Paul says, therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Now let's, let's just read that one more time, all right? If you've had any of this, after, after I read through it, just raise your hand. If you've had any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness 
and compassion. Raise your hand. Okay, check. All right. So he's talking to us. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Okay, now what is, what is he talking about here? He's talking about oneness, oneness with the Father. This is a concept that as a believer, you need to understand because anytime you're outside of oneness with the Father, you're just screwing your life up. If you're a young person, you can know Jesus and not be trying to walk in oneness, and you're just going to screw stuff up in your life. If you're an adult, you can know Jesus and not be trying to walk in the oneness with him, and you're going to screw things up in your life. If you're married, you need to be trying to walk in oneness with your spouse. If you have parents, you need to be trying to walk in oneness with your parents. And parents need to be trying to walk in oneness with their children. So one of the things that I pray over my marriage and have for years uh, on a daily basis is, Lord, help Abby and I to live out the oneness that you have created within us. Help us to be one physically, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, relationally. Help us live out what you see in us, what you've made to happen in us. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here, is that there is a oneness that we need to be seeking um, after with the Lord. And if we've received any tenderness and compassion, any encouragement, any of these things that he's described, this should be really important to us, and our joy is connected to it. And if we can walk that out in our lives, then we will see the fruit of joy being produced in us, which is what this series has been all about, is that if we can celebrate humility and own it, which is submitting ourselves to God, not the world's definition of humility, but, but submitting ourselves to God and his authority in our lives, then we can walk in the favor of the Lord. And if we will do that, then we will start to experience these things. Now, if you look at, and we're not going to cover this, um, in verse 12, I believe he starts and he says, that this verse, he says, work out your salvation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we work for something because he's already said in um, the first chapter that, man, it's something that we receive. The gospel is something that we receive. But once we receive it, there is a working it into our lives. If, I don't know if you've ever made bread, but you always have to knead the dough, Okay. Like, I'm, I'm a, I, I love to make cinnamon rolls. And you can tell by looking at me that I do, right? And so I like making cinnamon rolls in the wintertime. And, and I like perfecting them. But there's, there's a way that you have, to, you have to knead the dough, man. And you say, what is the secret to cinnamon rolls? Well, the secret to cinnamon rolls is you have to knead it. And what is the purpose of kneading? You're working the yeast into all of the dough and activating it. And let me tell you guys, if you struggle with your bread, what you're seeking after there is one, you do not want to handle the bread too much. You overwork it, you're just going to make it tough. What you are after, after is a, as a roll, you say, how do you know much about bread? Well, my dad was a baker for like, I don't know, 60 years or something, it feels like. And then I worked in a bakery for a while as well. So I know a little bit about dough, but never had much bread. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what you're after is you want to get that first thing, man. It needs to feel about like a, an 18-month-old bottom. 
right? The baby's bottom. Just nice and fluffy. Um, that's what you're after right there. And you get it too tough, then your, 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 your bread's not going to be any good. So that's what I envisioned when I'm making bread is that's what that thing needs to, little chunky toddler running around. That's what you're after there. And so why do we do that? We're working the yeast into the dough. We're activating it. This is what we're doing in salvation. This is work out your salvation. So he's about to tell us because he, in verse 12, he tells, work out your salvation. Don't work for it, but work it into your life and do it with fear and trembling. Like activate these things in your life and you will see the fruit of God starting to be produced uh, around you and you will start to walk in the favor of God and it will be actually a testimony um, to those that are, are experiencing life with you. And so he says, right after that, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So ambition can be way, it could be unhealthy. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. It could be out of control. It can, it can go wild. And he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Okay. So that's a hard verse, but it's like, we're supposed to be living in a way that we're always looking out for the interests of the other people around us. Now, it's important to note that I think the church has, uh, in, in, in America, the church has gone and taken a wrong turn and are trying to uh, define this as, well, it, to, to, to think of the needs of others before yourselves means that you just always put people before you regardless of what they think or believe. This is never for the expense at the expense of truth. And so that is, that is actually putting yourself before others because you're afraid they will reject you. So in other words, there's sometimes we have to make a stand for what the word teaches and it's not calling us to put others before ourselves and compromise the word of God, which is I think what has happened in the church a little bit is people have said, well, it's just all about love. It's just all about love. And then they use the world's definition of love. That means you accept everything, anything and everything, which is a, um, that's a lie. That's deceptive. That's not what love is. Sometimes love is a very difficult thing to engage in. Um, and if, you, if, you, if you've been a parent and you've had to discipline your kids, you know that it, it can be a, a difficult thing to do. So we're not, we're not like um, looking out for the interests of others at the expense of truth. And we know that because we could back up and see in uh, the verses just be before that, um, he talks about people opposing you and how if you are following the Lord, um, they will even, you will be protected and they will be destroyed because of your holding up the truth. And you can, you can study that later in the week. But, but so he's saying, but in all the other things, when it doesn't have to do with, with um, compromising the truth, and it has to do with um, whether or not somebody's coming to your swimming spot, <laughs> right? And I didn't know he was going to tell that story, but it works perfect for me today. And so when, when, when she's like, look at the interest of the others before yourself. This is very challenging to do, okay? But this is what we're called to work into our lives all the time. Like, like all the time, like 24-7, uh, we, we're working this stuff into our lives. And how do we do it? He says, well, in your relationships with one another, that means in your relationship with your mom, that means in your relationship with your 
Dad. Amen, Caitlin. Amen. Well, you laughing at your dad, so I'm talking to you too. <laughs> in your relationship with your dad, in your relationship with your spouse, or spouse, your boss. <laughs> in your relationship with your neighbors, all people around you, it's like in all of your relationships, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was his mindset? Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so why do we say that Jesus is God? Because the word says Jesus is God. He is God. He's just God in the flesh. And we can think about the oneness that we were talking about. The Trinity represents that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, three distinct personalities making up one Godhead. Uh, and so we look at him here and it says, in being the very nature God, uh, in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Meaning that when, if Jesus would have been at Longview Lake, he not only found the spot, he made the spot. He made the water. And the stuff that the canoe was made out of, he made you that had the ability to row to the spot that he made. He says, let's back up. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And so even though he was equal with God, he did not leverage all that was available to him. Being made in human likeness, this is God the Son, this is why we refer to Jesus as the Son of God, is because now God is robed in flesh, he comes to humanity and he visits us, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by what? By becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, which is the most humiliating way that you could die, especially as a Jew. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. They were taught that from the time they were little children. Anybody who's hung on a tree is a cursed individual, and this is the death that he submitted himself to before his nation in order to save them and us as well. And it says that, therefore, what happens? God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, is that true? Did Jesus get the name that is above every name? It's true. You, you, you ask anybody, you say, well, what do you think about Jesus? They at least heard of him. It's not the case with everybody in history. Sometimes you'll be like, well, I don't know. I never heard of that person. But with Jesus, people know who Jesus is. He's been given the name that is above every name. And then it says that so much so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everyone will. Every person, every human being will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the difference is, is that we're on this mission and those of us who have acknowledged that and we've bowed the knee and confessed with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, we have received salvation. If Jesus returns and a person hasn't done that, then they will receive condemnation. 
And so it's either salvation or condemnation. It's just a, a matter of when do you confess Jesus as Lord because everyone will, even the haters, at some point will confess Jesus as Lord. That's why we're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel is because we're all headed toward this impending judgment. And for some, it will be salvation. And for others, it will be condemnation. And it will be based solely upon what they have done with their belief and their faith in who Jesus Christ is. Was he just a moral man that taught good, cruel truths? Or was he actually God robed in the flesh that died a cruel death in order to set men free from their sins? And so that's what this whole thing is about. And that's why there's urgency about us being on mission as a church and trying to take the gospel to the world. How do we take the gospel to the world? Well, by taking your salvation and activating it and working it into your life and having the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's not what is what saves you, but that might be what saves someone else as they look at you. And the sad thing is, is that a lot of people are looking at a lot of other people and they're not seeing anything of Jesus. And what they need to be seeing is when they look at our lives, they need to be seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are able to take the salvation that he has purchased for us and to work it into our lives. And the verse says, um, with fear and trembling. And you can look at that in verse uh, 12. It says that not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so we're called to this. It's a calling that we're to work this into our lives. Work what into our lives? The mindset of Jesus Christ. Why should we do that? Because we, if any of us has received encouragement and we're united with Christ and been comforted in his love and any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion, everybody's like, sign me up. Then work it in. If you're going to raise your hand and say, sign me up and give me the salvation, then work it into your life. Work it into your life. Why? So that other people can see the purposes of God being worked into your life and you don't live like the rest of the world. You literally are beginning to bring heaven to earth. And so Paul teaches us, this is what humility looks like. Now, if we go to John chapter 13, the apostle John illustrates it for us. And it was the night just before the Passover festival. And so you can just think about, this is the last evening Jesus spends with these guys he's hand-selected. And he is, by nature, like, he is, he is God in the flesh, is what we just studied, what it just said about him. And so he's God robed in flesh. And he's there and he's, he's going to have a meal to celebrate the Passover, which they've been doing. Like, like, it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal for the Jewish people. It's like, everybody, like, if, if I asked you last weekend what you were going to do um, next weekend, you'd be like, I don't know. We're probably going to hang out with some friends. Whatever. But next weekend... What are you doing the 4th of July? Most of us have plans. Well, I'm going to be here. Well, we're going there. We're doing this. Why? Because it's, it's a big deal. This was a big deal. And so he's with them, and, and he's going to have, not only is it a big deal, it's the last time he's going to be with them. Because right after this event, um, they're, they're going to go to the garden and pray, and then there's going to be the betrayal, and he's going to get arrested, and he's going to be crucified the next day. And so 
So this, this, this is an important event. They're about to have a meal together, and we have to envision, well, what is this like? Man, well, it's, it's like uh, 12 guys that Jesus has invited into his life, and he tells a couple of them to get a room ready. They go get the room ready. Um, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know exactly what Jesus like. They probably feel in their hearts a little bit like, man, things are about to go down. Jesus is about to draw a line in the stand. And he's about to do some things that we've been hoping he would do for a long time. They had no idea that Jesus was about to be crucified because their mind was on worldly things. And so Jesus has them all meeting there and and Jesus comes into the upper room and they're going to have this meal together. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's what verse uh, two says. Then some translations say that he showed them the full extent of his love, meaning that he showed them the depth of the love that he had for each one of them. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And just let this be a a warning. Anytime you sit down to have a good meal with people who are important to you, you can expect the devil to look for a seat at the table. Like Judas was right there in the midst of it. And as we try to walk these things out and try to work them into our lives, we're going to be like, well, man, this is hard. Yeah, it's hard because it's a war. It's not a playground, it's a battleground. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of wickedness. And we can either decide, man, I'm aware that the devil is trying to get a seat at the table, or we could just welcome him at the table. And as a matter of fact, we could just set the table for him and that be our focus as opposed to working in the salvation. And when we do that, then we don't see heaven starting to come to earth like the Lord intended. And that's why he said in the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a desire from God to see the will of God happening on the planet. And it's when the people of God start working their salvation into their lives on a daily basis. And so Jesus knew, it says, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now this is challenging because, like, again, reminded of who God was. If that were us, we probably, so it was customary. Like, like you, you have to get a picture of this, man. You, if you've ever been out and you've been, maybe you planted some, a garden or something, you got your hands all dusty and everything, and you stayed out there and you worked, and it's hot and dry outside. And, and what do you want to do when you get in the house? What's the first thing you want to do? You want to wash your hands. They're walking around with sandals in an in a arid uh, uh, climate, and that's one of the first things they did when they went in the house. Oh, get this dust off my feet, man. I said, get it off so we can sit down and relax a little while. Now, we understand that. That's, what, that's culturally what was going on. And generally, there would be a servant who would come, and when you came in, he would put down a bowl of water, and a lot of times, he would do, you would just put your foot in the bowl, and he'd dry it off, and you'd go on your way, man. But there was no one there to do that because they were using a rented room. And so here, here Jesus is sitting there, and his, his feet are dry, and, and all, everybody else's feet are dry because this is just the way it was. And so... Normally, if we were in there, probably what we would be thinking in the flesh is, if this was, this was Jimmy, not Jesus, right? Man, 
I've been walking with the staff for three years. We're having a church meal here together, and nobody's getting up to do anything. I don't understand why they haven't gotten up to do anything. I've taught them this stuff for three years. How long is it going to be? And this just said, hey, give me a whiteboard. We're going to have a talk about spiritual development and leadership today, right? And that's the way we react. And we, we look at the situation and we want to start trying to like talk about why people aren't getting it. But what does Jesus do? He just gets the bowl and takes off his outer garment. They all know that their feet are dusty and tired. He wraps the towel around his waist and he gets down there and he starts washing the dirt off their feet. And, and so the, the, I believe what's happening is as he's doing this, he's speaking truth and life into each one of them. Um, and I, I believe he goes to Matthew and he thinks about Matthew and when he called him. And Matthew, I remember when your life was so screwed up and you were a tax collector. And I watched you, Matthew. You, that party you threw with your friends and the kingdom grew right then. That was amazing, Matthew. Let me get this dirt off your feet. Hey, Nathan, I remember, man, when you were out by the fig tree and I called you. And, and, and I, I told you that story about calling you into the kingdom. And you were like, I didn't even, how did you know? And Matthew, man, or Nathaniel, you've been doing some awesome stuff, man. I, I'm so proud of the life that you're living. And, and, then, and then he comes to Judas. And Judas, man, he, he says, I've loved you. And he knows Judas is going to betray him. He knows Judas is about to stick a knife in his back. What does he do? He just, wash, let's get this dirt off your feet, Judas. He comes to Peter. Peter's like, you're going you to wash my feet, but you're never washing my feet, Jesus. Which basically translates to, God, you're never going to do what you're about to do, right? This is what we do. God, you can't do what you're about to do because you're God, but you're going to do it anyway. And Jesus says to him, ah, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And then he says, well, if I don't have any part with you, then don't wash my, wash my feet only. Wash my head and my hands too. And Jesus says, oh, a person who's had a bath doesn't need to bathe um, their whole body. Says, they just need to wash their feet. You've already had a bath. And it says this, and I think it's important for us to look at it because a lot of times people wonder, was Judas saved? And the answer is no. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, this is verse 10, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for the, he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not every one of you was clean. So what is he doing? Jesus is showing them, and this is important for us, he's showing them that they already are in a relationship with him, which we could take away from that. They are saved, but they need to daily be cleansed of the dirt of the world that constantly gets all over us. You ever feel that? You just feel it, man, like he's walking out there in the world and what does Jesus do? And he washes the dust off our feet. This is why every day we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that's what keeps us saved. It means that Jesus is ministering to us. It means the world constantly is getting on us and it's constantly gotta be washed off. And the only way that it can be washed off is if we're staying close to the rabbi and letting him teach us how to work our salvation into our lives, how to activate our salvation in a world that is lost and in desperate need of truth. And so Jesus washes all of their feet. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. 
He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here are two truths from two of the most powerful passages we can learn from when it comes to humility. Uh, and, And when we follow them, when we implement these truths into our lives, and as I've been saying, when we activate them, heaven comes to earth. It comes to earth in your home. It comes to earth in your marriage. It comes to earth in your children. It comes to earth in your parents. It comes to earth in your friends. It comes to earth in your school. It comes to earth in your career. It's because you're, you're following who Christ is and you're manifesting, you're manifesting who Christ is in his humility and you are um, following him and, and you're bringing heaven to earth. Here's the first truth. Humility is not a human characteristic. It's spiritual. Okay, so when we say, like, man, be humble, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot manifest this kind of humility. It's not possible. You can manifest the world's humility, and, and, and the world's humility means something totally different. There's always a counterfeit. And so the world's humility is designed to make you feel good about yourself, that you're a humble person. Oh, I don't want to be too proud, when actually you're loaded with pride. You're just saying that to make yourself feel better about what you're doing, Right? But, but humble people, it's not so much about what they say, it's about what they're doing, right? And when it comes to spiritual humility, this is not natural and it never gets easy. It is the supreme character trait of Christ. It is more important than love. Everybody would say, well, God is love. No, God was humble, bro. And if he hadn't been humble, he'd have never come to the planet and you'd be damned to an eternity in hell. It was, he is love, he loves us, but without his humility and humbling himself and becoming one of us and dying in our stead, we would be hopelessly lost. And so it is a spiritual characteristic that when I come alive in Christ, I am able to experience it because I understand the humility of God and you must be spirit-filled and spirit-led to do it. You're never going to do it if you're led in the flesh. It's just not going to happen. Here's the second thing. The devil cannot occupy relational space when we learn to wash feet. Ephesians says that when it talks about spiritual warfare, that the devil is always trying to get a foothold. Young ladies, the devil is trying to get a foothold on your relationships. He will try to get a foothold on your relationship with your father. He will try to get a foothold on you and your relationship with your mother. He will try to get a foothold on you and your relationship with a young man. And the same will happen for a young uh, man. He will try to get a foothold on your relationship with your parents. He will try to get a foothold on your relationship with you and the, the, the other bros that you like to hang up, out with. And he will try to get a seat at your table. But if you learn how to wash feet, he cannot occupy that relational space because you're beginning to serve people like Jesus served people and you have the gospel ever in front of you. And, and when Paul or James says, resist the devil and he must flee, this is one way we resist him. 
We don't listen to the voice that, we don't listen to any of the lies he's telling us and we, we, we hold on to uh, Christ and we manifest Christ's life in our, life, our lives and we, we try to be humble people and all of a sudden the enemy cannot ho- occupy that relational space much like Judas left the room. He has to leave the room. So we don't give him a seat at our table. And so th- those are two important truths that if we, um, if we will yield to them, then we begin to see the fruit of God manifested in our lives and the favor of God falling on us. So here are three key hits very quickly to load the bases of your life. Hit number one is Jesus first. Now everybody say, well, yeah, right, that's obvious, man. Jesus first. But to live this way requires you intentionally putting Jesus in his rightful place as Lord. And there are too many people just putting Jesus in the place of Savior. Remember a couple of weeks we learned ago, I think it was last week, we, we're looking, we, we love God before, because of what he gives us instead of just who he is. A person who recognizes Jesus as Lord and Savior recognizes who Christ is and loves him and yields to him out of that and puts him in first place. He's Lord of my life. So what does that mean? He's Lord of your schedule. When you open your calendar and you tell somebody that you can do something, you can be here or you can be there, where's Jesus in the conversation? You say, well, I don't really need to do that. I mean, it's not gonna be that big a deal if we're not at church. It's a big deal to me. I don't have anybody to talk to if you don't come to church. (laughs) It's a big deal. You are the church. I find mutual encouragement from you. And and you should get encouragement from me. And we should get encouragement from each other. We help each other. We are the body of Christ. And the word says uh, that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He said, well, and again, I'm not saying, if you've got a vacation plan, don't feel guilty next week, all right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you look at your calendar, you immediately will tell people no because of a tournament, because of a vacation, because of this, that, or the other. Where's Jesus in that? When's the last time you've just looked at your calendar and asked Jesus, what do you want to do this month, Lord? Is he Lord of your passion? Is he Lord of your attitude? When you find yourself smarting back uh, and backtalk to your parents. Where is Jesus Lord in that? Amen. When you're chewing your kids out with the wrong tone, where is Jesus Lord? Where is he Lord in your emotions? Is he Lord in your money? You see, he is Lord of all. And if you do not put him first, he will always be second best or second place at best. And what do we know as competitive people? Second place is always the first loser. That's where Jesus is at in your life, the first loser if he's not first. So you got to intentionally put him there. If you don't, he's second. And he's losing in your life and you are losing your life. And that's why he said, if you want to find your life, lose your life and you'll find it. But if you keep looking for it and put me in second place and treat me like a loser, you'll never find what you're looking for. You're chasing a shadow. It's unreachable. You see it and you just reach in, but every time you move, it moves. Why? Because it's not real. It's a a, a counterfeit from the enemy. 
It's sacrifice and it will cost you. It costs Jesus's life and it will cost you yours too. If there's to be blessing, there must be bleeding. (laughs) That's what the kingdom is about. It's not how much we take in suffering, but how much we're able to give and sacrifice and look and go, man, I feel this way, but if I can yield to the Lord, I believe the word teaches me that he will be in the midst of that. If I've had any tenderness and compassion, if I've had any encouragement, if I've had any fellowship with the spirit, if that's me, then make your joy complete by an having the same mind as Christ. And what would Jesus do? Well, we know what he did. He put himself first. He put God first. God the Son put God the Father first, which began to impact all of his human relationships. Hit number two, his other second. And this is service. This is not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is looking at a situation. Again, there's, this is so funny that the Lord had Sean share his story, um, but it's, it's packing up and letting the family have the spot. Okay? That's other second. And, and in the world, and even in the church, it can creep in. We have a view that people exist for me. This happened to me in my, my last church. The church is really growing, and, and man, you're just moving. And, 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 and I, I didn't realize that some pride had creeped in. My intention was always pure. Like, man, I love the Lord. But in hindsight, having stepped away from that ministry and looking back, I can recognize that I started to buy into a lie that people existed for me. They existed for me. God had called me to a specific purpose and a mission and given me a vision. And the people he put around me were there to help me do that. Me, 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 me. And it wasn't until later in life that I started to recognize, man, how messed up that was. And and now I, I keep in front of me all the time. People don't exist for me. I exist for people. And I just tell myself that all the time. I exist for other people. They don't exist for me. And so the world will ask, how many people work for you? But Jesus will say, how many people to whom, for whom do you work? And that's, that's the kingdom. It's flipping it. It's always flipping things backwards when what we feel like we want to do supernaturally, if we will yield to the Lord, we will see things starting to happen in our lives. And here's the third hit. It's me third. This is much like putting others second, but this is when your thoughts shift and you learn to think about others and you actually embrace it and enjoy it. You see, there's a, there's a point in your life where you, you know what is the right thing to do and you do it because you know it's the right thing to do and the Lord can work in that. But whenever you can recognize, man, not only is it the right thing to do, you, you feel the feelings welling up, you tell yourself, well, wait a minute, the Lord has told me that I'm blessed if I do these things so that if I can keep my attitude in check, even though I really don't want to take time out to do this to help the other person, if I will do it, the favor of the Lord will fall on my life. So I'm gonna embrace this moment and see it as an opportunity of worship. And then all of a sudden, things start shifting in my life in a major way. Now I'm not only thinking about putting, or do, not only putting other people first, I'm embracing the idea of it and getting control of my mind and my attitude when the thoughts start creeping up and I'm looking at it as an opportunity to engage in the things of the kingdom. And real joy comes when we embrace putting others before ourselves, even in our minds, before our mouths and our hands do anything. And it's just a secret between us and the Lord. What's going on? Now we're worshiping in spirit and truth, which is what Jesus said he desires when he was talking to the woman at the well. 
And so the sequence is humbleness, then holiness, then happiness. When we humbly serve others, we will walk in his paths of obedience, and we will be happy, joy-filled people because the fruit of the Spirit will start to be produced in our lives. And this is what Jesus prayed for us in the Gospel of John. And so John 13, when we read it, it can stir us emotionally. We look at that and go, man, I, I mean, I love Jesus. I mean, I can, I can hear, I can, Shay over here when I was talking about, man, Jesus, he got down there and he washed the world off their feet. I, I know you were like, yeah, I love that about Jesus, man. And that's good. That's emotional. Like, I love that too. Uh, it can enlighten us intellectually. Like we go, man, this is a good moral thing. I need to teach my kids this. Maybe you go home and you wash their feet tonight. Wouldn't that be a different thing to do at the house tonight, right? You wash your feet so it can stir you about a moral lesson, but it cannot bless you until you do it. That's what's being taught here. The word, this word will never bless and manifest itself in your life where the favor of God is starting to fall on you until you do it. And so that's the big idea of today's talk is just do it, man. Just become a foot washer. Wash your parents' feet. Wash your kids' feet. Wash your spouse's feet. Wash your neighbor's feet. Wash the guy at the, uh, you know, working at the Starbucks. Wash his feet, man. Let that be the first thing in your mind instead of going, these people suck. <laughs> and you're all laughing because you know that's what you feel. But that's where worship happens. The Lord's trying to get us to see, get a hold of that, man. And look, and you will start to recognize, man, the people, I exist for people. And the Lord is using me all the time. And then he's helping me on my other stuff. Get it done quicker because I'm actually have my mind seeking the kingdom first and he will take care of all my stuff instead of me trying to take care of my stuff and then giving him what's left over. You see, we wash feet. Jesus can work with that. Put him first. You put others second. You put yourself third. You've got the bases loaded, and Jesus can step up to the plate and clean it all up. You just crush it out of the park, man. Everything looks like it's not working, and all of a sudden, man, Jesus just crack. Tosses his bat. The devil goes back to his clubhouse and you are exalted in life as the glory of God starts to fall on you because you actually are working what you believe into your life with Jesus as Lord and not just Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to be in your word and let it speak to us. And as we celebrate humility for the month of June, help us to be the people that you want us to be, Lord. And recognizing this is not what makes us go to heaven. This is what brings heaven to earth. Lord, we know our salvation is secure because the gospel is free. It's a free gift of God, but that we work it into our lives and then we see amazing things and our life becomes abundant. And so we pray that you would help us to work these things into our lives. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.